podcaster passionate about empowering youth to raise their voices and tell their stories. On Global Youth Matters, they tell their stories in their own voices on their own terms. They have faced life challenges, social, emotional, health, physical, economic, political, and more. They've gone through rough times and have come out on the other side. Get ready because they'll blow your mind. I'm going to let them talk because their voices matter on Global Youth Matters. Hi, Tenika. I'm very happy to have you here today on the podcast. And if you don't mind introducing yourself, that would be great. Hello, everybody. My name is Tanaka Klifnokwara. I'm 26 from Zimbabwe, and I've been studying in Ukraine for the past six years and currently living in Warsaw, Poland. So do you want to tell me a little bit about your life growing up in uh, Zimbabwe? So growing up in Zimbabwe was an interesting part of my life because that was the time Zimbabwe was going through a lot of economic difficulties and it kind of made us strong, uh, resilient to a lot of things that could happen in life. But all I really remember from growing up in Zimbabwe was how as much as things were hard, we always had enough and It was a great time. I enjoyed being there, living with family. I studied three different schools in Zimbabwe and gave me a good perspective on life. But I was still very young when we left Zimbabwe because I left when I think I was 13. We moved to Uganda. And now I kind of identify as Ugandan. Like I think Uganda is home because that's where I had my teenage experience. And usually those are the most significant parts of our lives that kind of shape who we are. So I would say I have way more stories about growing up in Uganda than I did in Zimbabwe. And Uganda was just one of the greatest places I've ever been. I would love to go back, live there. And I had just a great time, made long life friends. And it's it's it really is on my heart. Like Uganda is one of the best places to be in the world. Nice. So how was that transition from Zimbabwe to Uganda? Was it easy or was that, you know? Um, Moving just to Uganda itself wasn't difficult, but adjusting to the realization that you're no longer close to family because we grew up as cousins. Like I have so many cousins from my mom's side and I don't see them as cousins. Those are my brothers and sisters. And my aunts and uncles literally my other parents. So realizing that you're a thousand, thousand miles away from them and you don't know exactly when you're going to see them and knowing that back home, you'd always be a few kilometers. You can always just take a bus and you're at your aunt's place and it just feels like home. You're treated like one of the kids there. So that transition was a bit difficult I remember my mom saying that I think there was a time that I cried that I missed home. Mm-hmm. And now when I think of it, I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> but I mean, it was difficult at first because you're in a new country. You're in a new community. It was very international community. Everything is new. The language is new. The people. That was difficult. But over time, I kind of, I mean, I realized that, you know, everything was going to be fine. Still, my family was there. So... I enjoyed and I ended up loving it. Good. And did you, you had, you said language or did you have to learn a new language or did you learn in English or did you? 
everything was English in my school. Okay. However, you know, as you enter in your community, it's always great to learn the language. So I would try to learn a bit of Luganda, but it's quite difficult. However, I was always able to navigate a market and bargain for prizes in Luganda, which was great. And even until now, that's one one of the things I'm very much proud of. So I think you're making us want to go visit Uganda now. <laughs> yes, I do. I 100% recommend it. You should visit Uganda. It is great. It has the source of the Nile. We have so many wild parks, mountains. You can go see the gorillas. You can have a gorilla tour. I think that's where a few of the apes are, like the chimpanzees and stuff. So great. You have the... It's up north. I'm forgetting the place, but it's so cool. So many animals. Such a diverse country. It's so great. Uganda, it's it's my top five. Sounds sounds great. Sounds like I have to go there for sure. <laughs> so my next question is, you know, all these like varied experiences that did you have any passions or interests growing up that you would like to share? One of the things I actually remember was uh, growing up, my mom used to say, you know, you we had to wake up really early around, I don't even remember, it could have been 5 a.m. to catch a bus to school and everyone would be asleep. And she always reminded me that I used to say that while all these people are sleeping, we're already up and this is the work I want to do. I want to be a doctor. So ever since I was young, I was very passionate about medicine and of really helping people. And I can see it until at this age, I'm still very much passionate about medicine. And I really enjoy it. Like, Was there one thing or any specific thing that led you to be interested in medicine? And then when did that passion start? Like young, like middle school, elementary, high school? You know, that's a good question because I've never really thought of, you know, was there one scenario that made me realize, yes, I want to be a doctor. What made me kind of say, yes, this is what I enjoyed was in 10th grade, we had placement. So in 10th grade, usually what we had in our school, we had like one week where everyone goes to from I think sixth grade to 11th grade, everyone goes for a trip somewhere. And now when you're in 10th grade, you do placement. So you choose a profession you would be interested in going into. And then for one week, you literally immerse yourself in that profession. And I remember I applied to a couple of places and I got into Kampala International Hospital. I witnessed so many surgeries and procedures. I didn't even discover it was a week and I discovered this is what I want to do. Wow. This, is, this is where I want to be. I enjoy this. Wow. That's great. That's so nice. I always appreciate people that know what they want to do at such a young age. It's amazing. So is there any other sort of passions or areas that you love that you want to share with us? One thing I also enjoy is Model United Nations. So I remember, I think it was from eighth grade, we used to participate in Model UN. And in my 11th grade, one of my good friends created the very first conference in Uganda that was cost-free. So we had to find sponsors. Um, I mean, she came up with such a great idea that as soon as we joined in, 
this conference, this was in 2015, and now it's still going on. I think it's on the eighth conference they've had. And I remember, you know, just flowing through everything, the whole process of, apart from just, you know, the debating, debating and discussing, I really enjoyed organizing the conference because after she graduated, I was now in charge uh, in my last year. And we had the same conference. We had to find new sponsors, just trying to figure out how to navigate such a huge conference. It hosted, I think, 300 to 400 students from Kampala. And we were very much committed to making sure that it was cost-free or at least having very minimal costs because we were able to travel to different conferences our school made it possible and our parents made it possible that we could go to Kenya, Nairobi, The Hague, Prague. I think people even went to St. Petersburg. And a few, I remember, went to New York. So these were huge conferences. And we knew not everyone had the chance and we wanted to create, you know, share that same experience that we had and having that conference. And now to see it like such as, to us, it was a small baby and now it's, it's such a huge conference that continues to grow. And so, yeah, that was one thing I really enjoyed. So how does that, where did that interest come from? Where did it stem to sort of be part of a organization and to also maybe lead it and this idea of helping other people and maybe sharing those experiences so that it doesn't cost anything? Is that, where did that come from? I, I believe it came from my mom because she's always been very selfless. Like I said back in Zimbabwe around 2007, 2009, she was fortunate enough to get a job that gave her more than we we needed. And, you know, when you're young, you don't understand a lot of things that are happening. But whenever we'd have, I think it was every three or four months, they would have huge piles of groceries that would come from South Africa. And my mom would be packing three quarters of that stuff, giving it away to people, family, friends, and, you know, when you're young, you're like, whoa, why, is, why are you giving all of this to, to people? Why, we're going to need it. Because you already know as, as a young person, like, you know, as a child, you know, the economy you're in is quite difficult. And yeah. somehow you're like, okay, I want to preserve everything. But my mom was always, we give it to everyone. We'll always have enough. Everything will be fine. We, we will always have enough and we've always had. So she made sure that she gave to a lot of people who were in need and to be honest, we never lacked and we never do lack. So that I think is what really influenced me to be trying to help as much as I can. In the smallest things that I can, I always wanted to help because I understood how fortunate I was and where I am and where I'm going. And it's good to always give back, try to help as many people as you can. So I think that's where it really came from, you know, trying to help the world on a larger scale. As much as it was a model of the United Nations, I felt like we were contributing to the future leaders of tomorrow and how we can easily be helpful and structure the world the world in a way that's helpful and beneficial to everyone. That's great. That's a really great lesson or philosophy from when you're very young. Yeah. We have much to thank for that. So I, I wanted to move into like a little area, sort of pivot a little to 
So if some of the different kinds of challenges in your life, and I know you said that you are now you're currently in Poland, but you studied in Ukraine. I don't know if the challenges came from there or other challenges that you want to share. And you, were you there during the invasion? I'm not sure. You can let me know. You know, until today, I find it so surreal that it happened because everyone has a routine. I had a routine. I would wake up. My friends would be up by, I think, 5.30 or 6, going to the gym. We had a gym that opened up pretty early, which was good because we lived in a small city. I lived in Turnipel, so it's on the west, close to Lviv. And we'd wake up early, go to the gym, work out, take a shower, and then head out to classes. So we'll be done usually by 8.30. And then from then, we'd head out to classes that start at 9. And I remember that, as you say, like beginning of the interview, we should have like everything switched off. My phone was switched off. It was on no disturb. So you're up and then you go to the gym, you're working out, headphones on. You have no idea that things have just happened. You're working out. The next thing, your phone is, it's now a minute past eight. All the messages are flooding in. You remove your headphones. The gym stops the music and you hear sirens going on. You have no idea what just happened. I mean, we never expected it. A lot of officials convinced us that nothing would happen. And I remember when I was I was in shock. I didn't know what to do because I'd even convinced my parents that a lot of the, the military exercises that were happening at the border have happened before and nothing has happened. So why would it happen now? So we were very much convinced. And on that day, me and my friends were just like, we have to go. I just told them I have to go. Took my stuff, ran to the apartment. I don't even remember if I took a shower. But the first thing I remember, and which helped me because, you know, living in Zimbabwe, as much as we're not in a war zone, we had to be very smart, very frugal. And we understood what was important to survive. So... The main three things, we you know, shelter, water, food, cash. My parents didn't even need to tell me all these things. I already knew it from when I was quite young. And the first thing I did was, okay, I knew I had a place to sleep, so my apartment. The next thing is I needed cash because as much as you have a card, it doesn't guarantee you being able to purchase anything or move or do anything. So I went to the bank, stood in line at the ATM for three to four hours. Staying there. And it wasn't the cold. It was, this is February. So it's still very cold because I think the coldest month in Ukraine is January. So February, it's still very cold. Not as cold as it's been, but it was still very cold. Waiting in line, you couldn't even withdraw much. Took as much cash as I could and went to the supermarket, bought so much food. We buy the essentials, things that are going to last you forever. That's what I did. Went back home and I was in panic mode. I didn't know what to do. Now, I didn't know if I should run, if I should wait. We had some friends that had said that, you know, if anything happens, they'll take us to the border. They had already left. So in my head, I was like, what do I do now? What's the next plan? I called my parents and told them what had happened. They already did find out. And we're now trying to figure out how to leave Poland, if we're even able to leave Ukraine. And for us to leave Ukraine into any 
EU or Schengen country, we needed visas. So we didn't even know if we'd have visa-free access into the Schengen country or any other European country or Moldova. So all of that, we didn't know if we, we had access. I was quite worried. And I had so many calls because at that point, I was the head of the Zimbabwean Students Association. So I had a lot of people I had to inform, take care of, make sure that everyone is fine, try to organize transport. So I actually remember once I had bought everything, I went back home and I think that's when I took a shower. I don't if I still don't remember, but I went to bed. I had to sleep because I I couldn't process. I didn't know what to do. My mind was just such a speed. So I decided the best way I know how to handle with a lot of stress is just to take a nap. I took a nap. And when I woke up, I had a few messages from my friends. One of them had already been so close to the border. And I asked him how he's Polish. And I'd asked him, how can we get to Poland? Because now we had discovered that everyone, no matter nationality or immigration status, you're able to leave Ukraine and get into any neighboring country. So he had used a driver and he gave me one of the numbers. I called up, he said, we can leave tonight. So now I've discovered I have a driver. Okay, good. I need to call as many people as I can. I posted in our Zimbabwean association group in my class group, guys, I have transport, whoever is ready to leave today, we can go. A lot of people replied and we were able to go as a small group and we found ourselves at the border and that was just another whole, it was a whole experience. Well, first, I'm very impressed with all the survival skills you have. I'm sure a lot of people don't naturally have or know them. So that was probably great, that instinct and impulse to get your Mm -hmm. money and food and all of that. And actually to help others, which is also quite impressive, being the head of the Zimbabwean Student Association. Very resourceful. So that that's impressive. So on to the challenge on the border. On the border. The border, it, it gave me, I wouldn't even say anxiety. It was just, I transformed into a person that I hadn't seen in a while. Because I remember when I was young in Zimbabwe, transport was very difficult. And we used to have to board this bus called the Anaconda to go from school back home. And if there wasn't enough space, it meant that you'd have to find alternate transport to get back home. And so many students, there's no order. You had to push and pressure. And that experience, you know, the experience of chaos, it came back because the border, people think the border, the airport, everything is structured. Even some people have used land borders. Everyone is in line. You're waiting your turn. Cars are moving or people are in a straight line. When we got to the border and we had been, Lviv is, is not far from Ternopil and even from the border. It's about less than two, two hours, about two hours. We got there. We were... I don't know how many kilometers we were from the border, but our driver, he wanted to take us straight to the border because that was the agreement. But he said, there is no way I can take you to the border. Cars were starting over 10 kilometers from the border, over 10 kilometers. 
And he said, we, he tried to wait for us. He, he was, he was like, okay, I can try to take you to the border, but it's going to get dark. There are a lot of girls here. I would recommend you start walking now because if you start walking now, you might be able to get there before sundown. So we tried, we thought, okay, maybe the, the cars will move. Maybe we'll be able to get there. And we discovered there was no way we were going to get there to the border. He also had to go back to Turnipill to get more people to get them to the border. So we just decided it's time for us to walk. And I remember my friend, she, before we had left, she was like, okay, what can I bring? And I said, we're going to be walking. Can I bring so many stuff? Just the little things you can carry. So she carried a few bags. There were other girls with even bigger bags. They had to drag them. And we walked, I don't even remember how many kilometers, but it was just hours and hours. We were walking, trying to get to the border. And when we finally got there as a group, we saw thousands of thousands, hundreds of people just at the border, no line whatsoever. It was cars, buses, and just masses of people standing there. There was no structure whatsoever. And as we were trying to figure out the next plan. I remember one of my friends said, I think we should join the line at the back. And I said, this is not the place for that. I've been through something like this where the first person gets in, They when there's no structure, there's no point in you right now trying to create civilization, trying to get everyone in order. And I told him, follow my lead. I'm going to be moving and we need to get in front because it's because the way I see things, there is no way we're going to be able to cross this border today or tomorrow if we're not in front of this line. So we had to, I mean, I, we started pushing and everyone was pushing. We're getting pushed. And this was even before we had reached the actual border. All of this was happening at the gates of the border before you even get into anywhere close to immigration. We, I think we used to call them the the green or the blue gates. So that was, I would say, the hardest part to get past the gates. People had to jump through fences. And as soon as we got to the gates, we were separated between women, children, and men. So the men went one side, the girls were one side. They tried to say, if you want to pass as men, you'd have to pass with other women but they already separated us. And as we're moving through this line, as a group, not everyone was able to keep up with the pressure. So once you get separated from one person, it's, it all it takes is one person being separated and they're, they're lost. You cannot get them back because there's no way you can go back to get to them. So once we were at the, I think it was a green gate. Once we were at the green gate, and we're trying to pass through these small gates that can only get one person three at a time. We saw that on this side, all the Ukrainians were able to pass. But because only men under the age of 18 or above 65 who were Ukrainian were able to pass, it meant that the men that were trying to pass the border were all foreigners. So that gate was closed and there was no way through. The girls were trying to pass. I still don't remember how I was able to just push through and somehow I was pushed in and the gate closed right behind me. And then I hear stories after that. 
my friends, someone almost got tasered. One of the girls trying to pass through the border almost got tasered. One did get tasered. All my friends actually thought I had jumped because there was no, it didn't make sense how I had passed through that gate. It did not, for me, it still didn't make sense because I was the only one who had passed that night. And I had to join in a queue and wait for everyone to pass the next day. I had to just join the line. And I remember that night, standing in line, my friend had given me a Maasai blanket from Kenya. He's Kenyan. That's the blanket I had standing in line the whole night, just trying to stay up. And I don't know if anyone's ever had that experience of standing up and rocking back and forth in your sleep, just trying not to fall. There are so many times I've, oh, I almost fell while I was standing in that line the whole night until early morning. That's usually the coldest time of the night, of the morning, very cold. And finally, that's when my friends messaged me that they had passed. And we only had one power bank. My power bank, that was the only power bank that was there. And I was like, okay, I cannot, I cannot continue messaging everyone. We have to preserve our battery. So this was just now, we now have entered the main gate into Ukrainian immigration. And from then on, I got hold of a few of my friends. I was like, okay, I was happy, finally saw them. Then the main gate was finally opened now to pass through Ukrainian immigration. And that was the next difficult part. It was so chaotic, so disorganized that it took hours and hours for anyone to get processed. And finally, people were trampled on. Everyone was screaming at each other. These kind of moments bring out the worst in people. And I believe, you know, some of the people were even shouting at them, calling out racial slurs. Maybe there were, things like this would have never happened if no one was put in that situation because we were also upset. We were screaming at people way older than us and they were screaming at us. It was just, you know, it brought out the worst in human nature. Yeah, panic, exhaustion, worry, everyone. It was it was bad. That part was bad. I even, sometimes I think of it like I would never want something like that to happen and have that kind of energy around me or me having to scream at people like that because that was that was not what we had experienced in Ukraine over the past five years. So that part of immigration from the Ukrainian side was quite difficult, but we finally made it through. It did take some time. And, you know, Polish immigration was smooth. It didn't take time. But the hard thing, one girl passed out right at Polish immigration. She was just exhausted. She finally passed out and they helped her out. And as soon as we got uh, from the Polish side, I remember me and my friend, as soon as we crossed right into the border of Poland, we couldn't walk anymore physically. Physically, we could not walk because we had been standing up for two days with bags, pushing and shoving people, being pushed, and we couldn't walk. We just had to sit for a moment and then that's when we got some people from the Zimbabwean embassy who had people in Poland. They had sent help. They came, rescued us, took us to a place where we could drink some water. And 
Yeah, I, it reminded me because they said, don't eat too much. Because from the time we left Tornopil until we crossed into the Polish border, we had not drank water, nor used the bathroom or eaten anything. And I remember how, I don't know which book I was reading back then, I think it was about the Holocaust, where when the American soldiers came and they say, do not eat too much. Or And another mother was saying, her son, eat as little as possible, no matter how hungry you are. I understood what that meant because that time the guys said, okay, don't eat too much, just eat as little as possible. But you know, when you're hungry, you're not thinking. I ate so fast, I was sick. And this was just two days. So you can imagine how other people have been days and weeks of not being able to, to eat. So I understood that very well. Now I understand what, what it meant, you know, when someone says whenever you're so hungry and you've been starved for days, don't, don't, don't eat fast, just liquids and the slowest possible. So finally, after we had, they gave us lines, SIM cards, they gave us food, water, and people from our embassy, they took us and they said they had shelter for us so they could take us to the closest city where they had provisions. And that's where they took us and we went to, to Lublin. That's pretty intense moments. How did you process all of this after you got into Poland? I don't know if I really processed it. I don't know if I've gotten time to process a lot that has happened because every day you're trying to figure out your next move. When we got in, it was, okay, what do we do now? Yeah. Now, when, let's say, I kind of figure out, okay, I'm going to stay in Poland, I'm going to be staying in Warsaw. It's okay, how am I going to be able to stay in Poland legally? Where am I going to be able to stay? Where am I going to be able to find resources for this? How am I going to be able to graduate? Now I've graduated, what's the next plan? So I don't know if I've really been able to take that time to to process everything. So you, well, I mean, we're happy to hear that you got to go to school and then you also, you're graduated and... That's great. Just a question. Did I mean, it was introduced to you through Noir United and did they play any role? By the way, we have another recording from on Noir United, but did they play a role in any of this for you? Oh yeah. Oh, Noir United was one of the best things that have happened in Poland, especially for a lot of students. When they came in first, I didn't know much about them. I got to hear about them around July. Uh, they were working with one of my friends and we went to meet them, Masiri and Nassim. It was th- at that moment, we just developed a good relationship. They helped with accommodation. They helped with food. They helped with assistance in legal services. They helped in making sure that everyone had a laptop because at that time, a lot of things have been, have been happening when I had exams in last year in, in May, somehow my laptop out of nowhere decided to just explode. So I had no laptop and I had to be working off my phone for a couple of months. And when they heard that, they provided us with laptops. They came back. They had food vouchers. We started working. I started working with them with delivering free meals every day through a restaurant here in Warsaw. So, yeah, Noir United has done a lot of great work. And also, 
as much as they provided a lot of material assistance, what they really did that had great impact was making sure that we have circles where we talk. We kind of try to process like what you were asking, how have I, if I have processed and they really created that platform where we could discuss and try to share experiences, kind of offload a bit of stress and process exactly what had happened because as much as you you have to deal with a lot of things, your mental health is one of the most important things because if you're mentally strong, I believe you can deal with a lot of stuff. So that's what they really worked on. Also making sure that everyone was mentally in a better place and having that process of continual improvement mentally. And Noir United, I mean, they were one of the greatest organizations that we worked through here in Poland for students. They would really make sure that they listen to the needs of the students and they'll go back, fundraise and be back and provide everything that the students needed. So again, very impressed with all the survival skills you had, I think, throughout that whole process. And I wonder how did this experience overall, right? And from Ukraine to Poland, how did that impact your life? For a moment, I thought it was a terrible circumstance that I had found myself in. I thought, you know, what to do now? Everything I had planned before is all thrown in the trash. It has been a hard, a hard evolution in trying to figure out what to do. But then I think, okay, if all of this had happened, maybe I would still be very comfortable in my situation in Ukraine. Because to be honest, I was very comfortable. It was very comfortable there, especially in my city. I even think when I'd graduated, I don't think I would have left as early as I would have thought I would because everything was available, affordable. You had great family friends, friends that had turned into family. So this whole situation, I think what I really take from it is it pushed me into situations that I never thought I would be in. And I've kind of flourished in them. I've kind of survived and I keep pushing forward. It has kind of taken me out of my box. But at first, I, I don't think this is how I was thinking. At first, I was quite upset. Like, okay, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen, happen to Ukraine? What am I going to do? But I look at where I was last year in February and where I am now. And realization that everything kind of sorts itself out. There are many moments where you're so worried about, okay. Like I remember when I came, the first thing was accommodation and immigration status. That sorted itself out. And then even now, because I had to move out of my place, on the 31st of August. The day when I was supposed to move out, I didn't have a place to move into. But because I created such great friends, they were able to take me in for a few days. And in those few days, I was able to secure a great accommodation, finally moved in. And at that time, I was so worried. Like a few days ago, I was so worried. Okay, where am I going to stay? And then I remembered I have been in a worse situation where I didn't know anyone. I'm in a new city. I don't know the language. I don't know any 
single person apart from the people I came with. And now I have a great community of friends understanding some Polish. I know how to navigate the system. And that kind of like comforted me in discovering, you know, as much as things were hard, are hard right now, everything will be fine. Everything will definitely get better. Seems like you've built a lot of resilience. Yeah, I've had to be resilient. I've had to have a lot of faith and be very resilient because without that, I think a lot of things would have broken me by now. But I have ki- I've decided I have to look at this in a positive way. I have to be I have to be grateful for what I have and where I am. It could have been way worse. And right now I'm very comfortable. It's not where I would have wanted to be, but maybe this is where I needed to be to go to where I am going to go. So yeah, the resilience, it's it had to be, yeah, a lot of people had to patch that resilience and get it as, as to where it is today. Yeah. And did, is there was there anything that sort of helped you find that resilience in the moment or it just perspective, like you said, thinking, okay, I'm thankful. Another thing, my mom, she, she was one person who I literally talked to every day and just talking to her and, you know, she, she gets my mind in the right place as much as sometimes she's not saying the things that I want to hear. (laughs) She says it, um, she says what needs to be said and it, it kind of gets me in the right place. And then having good friends from this community, I joined a volleyball community, having good friends from Ukraine, from church in Ukraine, they were the ones you know, we sit down, we discuss, we talk, we pray for each other and we just encourage each other. We share what's going on and that has kind of, really helped me at the same time my walk with God has kind of gotten stronger because it was quite affected because you know when things happen you're like why is it happening to me but that realization things do happen and this is what life is a lot of things have happened to a lot of people that they never expected and they are where they are because of things that have happened so I was just trying to deal with that and that really helped to get to that realization that everything will be fine and resilience is what is needed to thrive in life. You have to be resilient because a lot of curveballs are going to be thrown at me. And it's a good thing that I'm getting this experience now so that in the future, when those harder curveballs are thrown at me, I am stronger and I'm able to deal with it. So is that, would you say that would be your, your biggest life lessons or do you have other life lessons you would like to share? Yeah, I think that is my biggest life lesson to continue like building up my resilience and faith and trust, trust in, in God to really have that trust because a lot of things have happened, but when I just trusted that, okay, everything, he's going he's gonna to figure this out for me. You, you get to sleep because I knew a lot of people, a lot of my friends fell into hard depression. Now, in our community, depression is not one of the things that's talked about. As much as you have so many medical students, we don't deal with a lot of mental health issues. And it was hard on a lot of people. I still don't know how I made it. I still don't know how I am like 
happy and joyful as I am, but I know a lot of my friends really struggled. They really, really struggled. Depression hit hard. A lot of people were just, you know, you had to make sure you call people. A lot of my friends, I had to call them because you just weren't sure, okay, what's in their head? Because as I said, a lot of people had it harder than I did and are still having it harder. Uh, It's still very hard for a lot of students, especially, for example, students in Netherlands, where now they were all asked to leave by the Netherlands government. They had thought that they have kind of settled. And then all of a sudden, you have to find the next place to go to. So that, that hits hard. And the greatest lesson from all of this is resilience and faith, just to persevere and keep moving forward no matter what you have to keep moving forward. So would that tie into if there was another you, another young person going through what you went Mm -hmm. through, would you tell them those two things or is there anything else you would advise them? Yeah, that's what I would say. But I would also say, I'll really tell the younger me that everything is going to be fine. You're going to get to where you need to be. And I'll be happier if my older me can come and tell me that everything I've dreamed of, I have now, and it's just getting better. Because, yeah, the younger me, I think the younger me will be happy with where I am. A lot of things that I never imagined of, a lot of experiences have happened, and younger me would be would be happy that I've been able to survive them. So that's what I would tell my younger self, that you you are stronger than you think you are. And great advice to other young people, too, to always remember there and find their own strength. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we close? Yeah, one thing I would really want to have out there is people understand that a lot of things are going to happen in life, a lot of things you never prepared for, a lot of things that you feel unfair that you don't deserve, but that is life, and you have to realize that a lot of things are still going to happen and how you react to your circumstance will be the reason, will will kind of show how you're going to come out of it. So your reactions to a lot of things happening around you are very important because what you put out into the universe, you put out good energy No matter how bad it is, you're going to get good energy. It might not feel like good energy now, but trust me, you always have to be positive. You have to put out good energy. Try your hardest to, to fight those demons and persevere, stay strong. That is one of the most important things. And not to give up on your dreams because a lot of my friends, a lot of people I know, they have kind of given up. I was even at that stage of saying, do I really want to do medicine? Was this what maybe I was even asking myself, okay, was there some level of programming somewhere that led me into medicine? And then I say, then I came to the realization, no, this is what I've always wanted to do. And no matter how hard things are, I'm still going to be pushing. And I believe I'll get there. Great. Very useful advice. Very wise advice. Thank you for that. And thanks for being on our show. Oh, thank you for having me. This is the Global Youth Matters podcast. We hope you'll subscribe or follow us at Apple Podcast or your favorite pod platform. 
We would really appreciate it if you leave us a positive review, especially on Apple. This helps us build an audience. Finally, we want to hear from you. You can reach us by email at globalyouthmatters at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.